welcome to Rock Hills. We are so glad that you guys are here with us. You know, our desire every single time you come to Rock Hills is that you would be able to connect with others, but even above that, that you would be able to experience God. And that's, that's our prayer for every single one of you today, is that you would be in a place where you can truly experience God and see what He has to say today. Will you join with me in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence and we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to every single one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is Adam. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would love to do so. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, we believe here at Rock Hills that God is doing something really special right here. And so I don't believe that it's an accident that any one of you are here today, but I believe that God wants to speak to you, and I'm excited about what He is doing in your life as well. We started a brand new series last week called Creed, with arms wide open. No, that's the wrong creed. We're not talking about them at all. How many of you could say amen to that? But we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. So quick survey, how many of you grew up in whatever religious setting saying the Apostles' Creed, all right? That's maybe about a third of the crowd or so. Some of you did, some of you didn't. Some of you, even if you didn't say it on a regular basis, you're kind of familiar with it. Uh, Some of you memorized it when you were growing it up because it was just part of every week or you were taught to memorize it and you memorized it along with the, the Pledge of Allegiance and your multiplication tables and all that sort of stuff. But here's the deal. The creed is not just something that's meant to be known right? It's a paragraph or two that you memorize. It's not just meant to be known and memorized. The creed is something that is meant to be lived. It's a reminder to ourselves as believers of what we believe and why we believe it and how we're supposed to live it out. And so for generations, it's so cool to to see how just for generations, people have been saying this to remind themselves of what they believe and why they believe it. Now, the problem with anything that you do over and over and over again is it can begin to lose its meaning. And so we wanted to unpack this again as a church and just kind of look at it and look at what it really means and not just go through the motions. And so if the creed is brand new to you, we want you to hop right in with us and see what this is all about. If this is something that gives you a flashback to when you were a kid and you had to repeat things and all that, I, I, want, I want you to set that aside and take a fresh look as well at, at what the creed really means and what it's supposed to remind us of. I do want to throw in too that as believers, we do not believe in incantations as a follower of Christ. In other words, if I say the creed, it doesn't make me closer to God. Because I said this paragraph, all right? If I say the creed, it doesn't mean that my marriage is going to be better because I said something that I believe God wanted me to say. If I say the creed, it doesn't give me a better chance of winning the lottery, all right? Sorry to disappoint you guys that we're planning on leaving here and thinking today's your big day because we're talking about the creed and God's going to bless it because you said the creed. The creed, there's nothing magical about it. It's just a paragraph. It's, it's not even found in the Scripture, although all the concepts, as we'll look at as we go through this series, are from the Scripture. So we've taken concepts from the Bible to remind ourselves of what we truly believe. Now, last Sunday, Al had a great message for us, and that's exactly what we started with. We started with, I believe, because that's where it all starts. It starts in our heart where we make this shift from just being able to read words that are on a screen or in a book or whatever, to really coming to a place where we believe. Now, 
there, there, I want to make a distinction here because you can believe something in a couple of ways. Uh, you can know something and understanding that's in your mind, right? I know something as a fact and, and I know that in my mind. But there's a difference in believing because believing is in your heart. It may not have proof to it, but you know it to be true because you believe it in your heart. So as we go through the creed, we're saying, I believe. I believe in, in something that's even bigger than explanations. It tells us in Isaiah that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So God is even bigger than what we could possibly understand. And we're putting our belief in something that's greater than we are because if he's not greater than us, then we've got a problem, right? So we're putting our belief out there. It's bigger than just understanding. And the truth is, we all believe in something, and what we believe in truly matters. Now, what you believe in is more than just knowing, because what you believe in affects how you see other people. It affects how you see yourself. It, it affects how you behave, how you handle situations that come to your life. What you believe determines how you behave, how you think, how you treat other people, how you feel about yourself. And so what we believe in is really, really important. So we want to pick back up Last, from where we left off just last week, where we started with, I believe. And some of you here, you do believe. There may be others of you here that you thought, man, I've been to church. I don't know if I believe or not. Some of you here may have just walked to, uh, through the doors of a church for the first time. And congratulations. Look, the roof did not fall down. All right. You're here and you are welcome here. But you may say, I don't believe. I'm just in church because this guy asked me to come with him or whatever. And that's okay too. We want you to search your heart and find out what you truly do believe. And we want to share with you why we believe in Christ. Uh, so we, we left off last week with, I believe. And then we're going to continue that, that next phrase of the Apostles' Creed today, which simply says, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. So I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert here. This week and the next two weeks, we're talking about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a mind-blowing concept because this is one God. You've got God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father is God. Jesus, the Son of God, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But God the Father is not Jesus the Son. And Jesus the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not God the Father. These are three distinct beings of God, but one God. And today we're just going to be looking at God the Father. Now I have to say, one of my greatest honors and privileges in life is getting to be a father. I've got three wonderful kids, Hannah, Brooklyn, and Jack, and there's their picture right there. I, I'm just grateful because when, when I raise these kids, I just think, God, I don't know why you had so much grace on my life to give me such three, three such wonderful kids uh, like this. But being a father is an absolute privilege and joy for me. I love it. I love getting to be their dad, even on the bad days and on the good days. We're doing driver's ed right now. So, you know, that gives you a little bit of adrenaline sometimes when you're teaching your kids to drive. They're doing great. And so, and moving to San Antonio and learning to drive, that's a whole nother thing, right? 
But it's an awesome privilege and joy to be a father. So to be able to speak to you today about God being the father uh, is also an honor and privilege. And I think for me, honestly, it's easy for me to understand God as father because I personally had a great father. Growing up, uh, I, I, was, I was so honored uh, to be able to have a dad who truly cared about me, who invested in my life, uh, who taught me what it meant to be a man who spent time with me. And I realize not everybody has that, but I was privileged to have that. And it helps me understand God as father. As a matter of fact, I brought a childhood picture. There we are. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do since he retired. You know, I mean, it's going to be a whole new world for us, but, uh, you know, our, our family will, will continue on. No, not really. Here's the real picture. Same cap turn, but, you know, this is me and my dad uh, out in the pickup on the ranch growing up, and that's what I knew growing up. Gro- growing up. Growing up, uh, my, my dad loved me, and he spent time with me. So in that context, I'm able to understand God as Father. And my prayer for all of you today is that you would be able to understand God as father, because here's the important thing. Here's the big picture I want you guys to get today. If I can't see God for who he really is, I won't see myself for who I am created to be. Let me say that again. If I can't see God for who he really is, I won't see myself for who I am created to be. Now, this concept of God as father is such a beautiful picture that the gospel gives us. Now, it can also be a problem For those of you who had uh, a bad father situation, didn't have the opportunity that I had when I was growing up, some of you had a great dad. Some of you had a a dad who was there and, bless his heart, he tried the best he knew how, but it left some scars in your life. Some of you have a father who was absent. Maybe you've never known your father. Maybe you grew up with your father in the home, but he was always disconnected. Maybe divorce caused your father to be away and you just never had that relationship with him. Or maybe there was a tragedy and you never had the opportunity of growing up with a father. Or, heaven forbid, I know there are those of you here because of the world we live in today, there are those of you who had an abusive father who was physically abusive or emotionally abusive or spiritually abusive or even sexually abusive that caused all kinds of red flags in your heart and in your spirit when we start talking about God as Father because what you know as Father is not love and is not protection and is not provision. But what my prayer for all of you today is that you can see God for the character, the character and integrity that He truly has and the desire that He has for your life. God the Father, He is creator of heaven and earth, and we need to understand His role and responsibility in every one of our lives. So as we look at God, that's His identity. Father is His role, and creator is His ability. What I want you to understand today, that how we view God needs to be set in this context. He is infinitely powerful and intensely personal. As we look at God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, that tells us that he is God the Father, intensely personal as your Father. And he is the creator of heaven and earth, meaning he is infinitely powerful. There's nothing beyond his his capabilities. So as we look at this, we have to understand that God is not limited in his desire or ability to have a relationship with you. 
He's not limited in his desire or ability to know you and to move on your behalf and to interact in your life. Jesus taught us to approach God this same way in Matthew 6, 9. He's teaching people how to pray. He says, if you want to pray, this is how you should pray. And he says, then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, there it is again. Our Father, his relationship, which is intensely personal with us, hallowed be your name because you are in heaven. In other words, he is ultimately powerful. So he's infinitely powerful and intensely personal. And Jesus tells us this is how we should look at God. Now, all through the Old Testament, we've seen some glimpses of God as father, but mostly we've seen his power. We've seen his power uh, to be God, to create, uh, to move on behalf of his people. But then Jesus shows up as the son and introduces everybody. I want you to see God for his heart for you and how much he loves you. He says, you have the ability to go to God himself, the one who created the heavens and the earth. And you have the ability to approach him as father. Now, this put the relationship with God on a whole new level because it wasn't just people interacting with a God who was out there that we were supposed to believe in. And if we believed right, we had God's blessing. If we stepped out of line, we didn't have God's blessing. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, I want you to see it in a whole new picture. Approach him as your loving heavenly father. Jesus wants us to know God as he knows God which is Father. So let's look at the big idea again, and let's refine it just a little bit. When I see God for who He really is, I can see myself for who I am created to be. When I see God for who He really is, I can see myself for who I am created to be. So now let's break this down just a little bit. Creator of heaven and earth. He is infinitely powerful, like we talked about. Uh, Remember when you were a kid, and you believed that your dad could do absolutely anything? You know, when you were in that toddler stage or whatever, dad, fix it, you know, and it's, you know, busted into a thousand pieces. There's no way it can be fixed, but you believed your dad could do it. You know, there's a boulder. Dad, would you go lift that? You believed dad could do it. Well, when we look at our heavenly father, that, that really is the case because he is infinitely powerful. We're going to look at just a few scriptures that display this, not just power in strength, but power in creativity, power, the ability to move and create uh, beyond what we could ever imagine. And as I looked at these scriptures, I figured there's no better way to display them than with Alan Jan's vacation pictures. So uh, we're going to have a little slideshow here. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I don't know if you guys are outdoorsy people, but there's been times in my life when, when I'm in such a spot, although I've never been to that spot, where I just go, God, how in the world did you ever do this? He spoke and it was. He created the heavens and the earth. Now, here's the cool thing. That's the earth. That's the ugly part, right? That's not even heaven. Heaven is beyond what we could even imagine or see in our natural eyes. But that's a whole another message right there, right? John uh, chapter 1 verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made that has been made. Nothing was made that has been made. Psalms 95 verses 4 and 5. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. 
Psalms 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. And when we see landscape like that, we can just be in awe. A few weeks ago, uh, we were out in the mountains in deep west Texas, and the stars out there are just absolutely unbelievable. And you can just look at that and just go, God, your creation is amazing. But here's the cool thing. As amazing as that creation is, earth and heaven, it's nothing compared to his prize creation, which is sitting right next to you on either side of you, is sitting in your chair. You are God's prize creation, far more complex than any mountain range or or river or ocean has ever been, is you. And, And God created just as much as he created all that. He created you. Psalm 139, verses 14 and 15. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. So I did a little research this week. There are seven octillion atoms in the adult body. Seven octillion, for those of you who don't know, that's 27 zeros, all right? That's a little bit more money than we have in our bank account even combined, right? That's a whole lot. Seven octillion atoms make up each one of our bodies compared to the universe, which just has a mere 300 billion stars in the galaxy. We are so detailed and complex. You know, I'm amazed by these things right here. I could literally call somebody on the other side of the world right now and be able to see their face and have a conversation with them. And there's nothing connecting us that we can see. I mean, if I think about that too much, it just makes my brain hurt. But to think about that compared to you and I, which has been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, not you personally, you're not that old, but we as humans have been around. And to think that... We don't have to plug in. We don't have to recharge. I mean, we take a good nap every now and then, you know, but we are just so amazing. You are God's prize creation. I could go on and on about his ability. He has an infinite power to be able to to create. He is unlimited in his power to be our heavenly father. But it's not just that he is infinitely powerful. Yes, your heavenly father can whoop any father. He is that powerful. But he is also simultaneously, while he is infinitely powerful, he is also intensely personal. The Bible tells us that he knows the numbers of hairs upon your head. That's how personal he is. He knows you better than you know you. He knows you better than your spouse or your kids or even your parents know you. He is intensely personal. And through Jesus, God opened up the door that he could be our heavenly father and that we could have that relationship with God. You're not just here today as a church attender. You're a believer who believes in God and that's the extent of the relationship. Believer, the one you're believing in. It's much more intensely personal than that. He is father and you are child. And that is the way that he views us and wants us to view him. So the big idea, again, here one more time. When I see God for who he really is, I can see myself for who I am created to be. Galatians chapter 4, verses uh, 6 through 8 says this, And because 
We are His children. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are His child, God has made you His heir. So it takes it a little step further even in the description here as we get into Galatians. He's saying, this is your father. But in order to to describe it to the Roman audience that was listening, they throw in another word, Abba. And Abba is an intensely personal word for father. The best uh, parallel you and I would have for that is daddy. He's saying, I just don't want you to believe in him as this is, this is my old man up in the sky. I want you to believe in him the way a three-year-old believes in daddy, right? I remember when my, my kids were that age, and they may, may have been having a bad dream or whatever it was in the middle of the night, and I hear, daddy, daddy. Do you know what I do when I hear that voice calling out? I wake up their mom and say, go check on them. <laughs> I'm not getting up out of bed. No, 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 no. When your kids call out for you and say, Daddy, and I'll, I'll say it because he's not even in here. He's in kids' church. My 11-year-old last night was going to bed. Daddy, would you come lay with me? Man, I was there. I'll take that opportunity because I know that's not going to last much longer. But when your kids call out Daddy to you, and I hope all of you men in the room can relate to that, there, there's just a connection there. And that's how the, the, the Bible tells us you are to relate to God. Daddy. All right? It's that intensely personal relationship. Check this verse out in Romans 8, 15 through 17. So you have not received the spirit of God that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children... We are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. So again, he's saying we we look at him as Abba, Father, but takes it even a step further again and says, you are his heirs. You are adopted. Now, I know we've got some families here in the, the church that are familiar with the adoption process. Uh, You've adopted kids, or maybe you have family or friends that have adopted kids, or maybe you're adopted yourself. Uh, And I know a little bit about adoption. I know this, that an adopted child, when you adopt a child, it is legally binding. That child goes from being an orphan to legally having your last name, in other words, becoming an heir, to being your legal child. I also know this, adoption is expensive. It's not a cheap thing to do. Adoption is risky. You're adopting a child not knowing if they're going to grow up and be well-behaved and respectable, not knowing if they're going to love you, not knowing if they're ever going to attach to you or have any respect for you at all. Adoption is a very risky proposition to take up. And adoption transforms a life. It takes one who was an orphan and now makes them a part of a family. It makes you an heir where you have full rights. I call it refrigerator rights, right? You you and I can be friends and you guys are welcome, all all of you, to come over to my house for lunch today. Uh, And we're going to come over and you're going to sit around the table and we'll pass food around. 
But you would all probably feel a little bit of a social resistance, a filter there, to just get up and go to the refrigerator and start grabbing whatever you want. But my kids, my kids have refrigerator rights, and unfortunately they know it too well, right? You just go to the fridge and get whatever you want. When you are adopted into God's family, you've got refrigerator rights. You've got the ability to go into God's presence and be exactly who you were created to be. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be good enough. You are just God's child simply because the price has been paid. The adoption has been made. The the legal transference has been made to make you an heir of Christ. If you are a believer today, you have been adopted into the family of God. And He adores you, flaws and all. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is because it does not know Him. He has lavished great love on us. To think the very God that created those mountain ranges that we saw a second ago, created the heavens and the earth and created every single person in this room and gives us our very breath, not only created and has that power, but has an intense desire to be our father personally. Here's what this means. You no longer have to be a slave to sin, but now you get to be a son. Of God Almighty. You no longer have to be a rebel under judgment, but now you get to be a daughter of the Creator. This is the heart of the gospel that sinners like you and me now become sons and daughters of God the Father. You receive the full rights of a child as an heir, you become his child. His kid, right? It's, it's like, do you know who my dad is? You know, have you ever met a kid like that? Well, that's who we get to be. I am a child of God. And just like any good father, it's not just a one-time experience. So don't just think, okay, I came to church, I said a prayer, and boom, okay, now he's my father, he adopted me, that's it. No, it's much bigger than that. It's an ongoing relationship. Just like any good parent, you don't just love your kid for the day they were born. Oh, look at how cute. Wipe all that stuff off. All right. There's there's a little baby. It's an ongoing relationship, a love that just doesn't end. It It tells us in the Bible, what can separate you from the love of God? Absolutely nothing. That's how he loves you as a father. This is his role as father. It's an ongoing relationship. And there, there's a series uh, of, of parables in the Bible that, that illustrate this really so good. It comes in, in Luke chapter 15. And it's really a trilogy of lost things. Many of you are familiar with uh, the parable of the prodigal son, right? The lost son. But it, it's three lost things in a row. You've got a lost sheep, you've got a lost coin, and then you've got a lost son. And this is a whole other series, but, but God is, is illustrating this through Jesus to an audience and, and illustrating the example of how much he loves and desires us. So we're going to kind of work through it backwards here. In Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 24, this is the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. 
So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Here's the son. And here's the father. The son views himself as thinking, I'm no longer worthy to be his son. But the father realizes there's nothing that can separate you from being my son. And what I love about this scripture is it says he saw his son from a long way off. Which means the father was daily looking for his son. You guys know if you're parents... If you're missing your child, you're looking everywhere you can possibly. If you've ever been to the mall when your kids are little, and where are they, where are they? You're looking everywhere until when? Until you get tired of looking? No, until you find your child. And that's the heart of God today. And what I want to encourage you with is some of you may have had a relationship with God at some point, And like this son, you've kind of backed away and you've let it slide or whatever it may be. But God has not taken his gaze off of you. He is intensely looking for you as a father. And his reaction when you come back is not, well, we're going to have to talk about it because you did some really bad things while you were gone. What do we see the father's reaction was here? A good parallel for us would be, can you imagine, and I hope you don't ever have to actually imagine this, if you had a child that was kidnapped and your child was found, when you got reunited with that child, you would be overwhelmed with love and compassion and just want to embrace that child and never, ever, ever let them go. And that's exactly what we see displayed here from the father. A running embrace and he says, get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals. Everything that you were meant to be is restored to you because you are my child. That is the love that the father lavishes on you. That's how he sees you as a believer. If you're a believer, God sees you as his own adopted child and pours out grace on us even in the midst of our failures. And I do want to encourage you today, none of you have gone so far that God has given up on you. None of you have messed up too bad that God said, that's it, I give up. God has not given up on any one of us. We see the patience of a father. If we flip back just a few verses in that same chapter in this trilogy, when he's looking for the lost sheep in verse 3 and 4, then Jesus told this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? In other words, no matter what is going on in everybody else's life, God desires you. To be his child. And he does not take his gaze off of you. And he is committed to finding you as father. In the last part of that trilogy. The lost coin. In verse 8 it says. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins. Loses one. Does she, doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house. And search carefully until she finds it. Now as a father. If I'm missing my child or my child is hurting or my child has been kidnapped or lost or whatever it is. As a father, my heart 
would burn to find that child, right? Like moving man on fire. Just where is my child? And nothing is going to stand in my way of finding my child. And that is how God views us. He's using this illustration of a woman here who didn't have much money and she lost one of her coins. And what does she do? She tears up the house until she finds that coin that was missing. And that is God's passion for every one of us. If I have to tear this house down to get to you, it's the love of the Father that pursues you and says, I want you to be mine. Yes, scars and all, mistakes and all, come and be mine. Don't worry about being perfect, all right? I've heard the old illustration. Sometimes we feel like we have to get cleaned up so we can take a shower. That's not how God views you. Just come, and He'll clean us up as we go along. Would you just come to the Father today? So the last point of the big idea here is when I can see, when I see God as Father, I can see myself as child. God wants you to be able to see Him as your heavenly Father who is intensely personal and infinitely powerful. You are His child with full rights, as a full heir, as a full legal child because you have been bought with a price. Your adoption has been made. So as an adopted child, as a rescued child who once was an orphan, but has now been made a part of a family. How has that changed your life? How does it affect the way we treat others, the way we see others, the way we see ourselves, the opportunities that we have been given? It should change everything for us. How does it change us? Not just me personally, but us. We have an opportunity today to go out and reach our city and share the love of Christ with our city. I encourage all of you To be a part of that. We have the opportunity to serve one another. Here in the church. I encourage all of you. If you're not volunteering or connected to a rock group. Get connected to one of those. So that we can all experience this together. As the children of God. As family of God. Do you know him today? As your heavenly father. For some of you today. It was just to remind you of the love of God that He has for you. For some of you, even though you've been going to church most of your life, it's to take that step where we move from knowing about something to believing. That's where God wants us to be because this is what changes how we behave. This doesn't change how we behave. It's just facts we know in our head. So for some of you today, we need to move to that place where we see Him as Father. For some of you today... You need to say, I realize I'm an orphan. I need God. I want Him to be my Father. And if that's you today in any of those areas, I encourage you here in just a moment, we're going to take a little bit of time of of silence and we're going to worship God together in communion. And communion is like the creed. It's not just an act that we go through, but communion is to remind ourselves and I don't think there's any better way to remind ourselves of the adoption that we have been given than to remind ourselves of the price that was paid so that we could be adopted. And so we're going to take just a little bit of time to pray here in a second. And I want you to ask God to be your Heavenly Father in whatever place you may find yourself, if that's where you're at today. And uh, don't worry about having all the right words or saying it the right way because it's about your heart. 
anyway. Let's, let's take just a moment and pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you as Father. That you made the way that we could be sons and daughters. That we could come to you, Father, with our requests, with our, with our hurts, with our heartbreaks, with our joys. And we can give them all to you. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to pay the price that we could be yours. That we could be adopted as sons and daughters and see you as Abba, Father, who knows everything about us and loves us anyway. Lord, we thank you today and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.